Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sandro. I'm Karan. I'm James. If you haven't figured out whose voice is whose by now, then just assume James is the one who says anything you may find offensive and you should go solely after him in a court of law if you feel so inclined. Um, <laughs> disclaimer, I will not hesitate to counter sue. I'm very deep-pocketed and well-connected. All right, Donald Trump. Great pitch. What a better way to get our viewer numbers up than by just threatening everyone. All right, all right, here's an idea. How about we talk less about law and more about science? Okay, real quick, though. What's the difference between a lawyer and a liar? A conviction? A pronunciation. Okay, all okay. right. <laughs> hey, is that? All right, science. 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 In this episode, we bring to you climate change impacts on biodiversity. We hear about this all the time, and in many ways, it seems like an abstract idea. So we wanted to dig into it because it's really consequential. While we recognize this is not the only threat facing wildlife, we just won't have time to cover other major issues such as habitat destruction, human wildlife conflict, illegal trade, poaching, and so on. Oh, and roadkill. Yeah, so on. Okay. <laughs> hey, just, just so you guys know, roadkill, uh, 1 billion animals die in the U.S. every year because of roadkill. Just so you know. 1 billion? 1 billion. Does that include insects? Let me... I don't know if that includes insects. Let me check that stat real quick before you. I feel like on. I kill one billion insects just driving back. <laughs> Gone so to Yeah, yeah. Isn't that like one of the major reasons? Like they think like bio, like the biodiversity is becoming less diverse as it starts with all the insects we kill. Yeah, they're also all dying because of pesticides and things like that. Yeah, and then the other animals can't feed on them, so yeah, only the strong survive. Uh, nature is becoming very gentrified. Okay, well, you Starting off on about- a great note. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, climate change is threatening like a lot of species, including humans, and the impacts are really far-reaching and unpredictable. One of our motivations for choosing this topic is the UN published its biodiversity report in September of 2020, saying that humanity failed to achieve all of the 20 biodiversity targets, and only six had been partly achieved. Why did they even include only six were partly achieved? I would have just assumed they were all partly achieved, but they made it really clear we made no progress on 14 of them. As someone that like might have struggled a little bit in high school, they'll, they'll give you those partly achieved ones to encourage you not to give up altogether. Honestly, I think it's, I think it's more insulting to have six partly achieved. If you got a zero, at least like, you know, you just, you just, you know, like screw it. But <laughs> six are partly achieved. Like you kind of sort of attempt, like there was an attempt that's kind of insulting, honestly. We couldn't all get C minus averages in high school. Sorry. <laughs> His teachers were actually roasting him just like subtly. <laughs> they were, they're just passive aggressively giving me partly achieves. <laughs> uh, but they, okay. That got real, really fast. Just kidding. I was an ace. No, okay, no. Um, let's take a step back though and talk about when it, maybe uh, before we dive into the weeds on climate change and biodiversity loss, let's maybe like check in with a famous mascot of the changing climate, the animal everyone knows and loves, the polar bears. Uh, what's up with them? Oh, How are yeah. they faring? All right. So according to IUCN, an internationally recognized authority that keeps tabs on the natural world, there were about 26,000 polar bears left as of March 2020. And scientists are 95% certain that the population is between 22,000 and 31,000, which means there's actually a very small chance that there are millions of polar bears and climate change is a hoax. Um, I don't think that's how stats works. It's not? Yeah, I really, yeah, I I don't know how you, anyway, ask me how much a polar bear weighs. 
How much does a polar bear weigh? Uh, enough to break the ice. Hi, I'm James. <laughs> <laughs> you got me every I'm, time. I'm suave. You must kill it on the apps. Dude, I've, I'm like stealth. Yeah. Okay. Here's a, here's a pretty wild BBC news article. A village in Northern Russia, Rirkapi. I, is that how you say it? That's how I said it. Well, I don't, I don't think it's how you say it, but I'm not Russian. I think it's something like Rirkapi. Ooh. Okay. I like that. All right. Okay. I'm going to cue you in and then I'm going to complete my sentence. All right. Ready? Go. Rirkapi has been overrun by polar bears. Conservationists say the weakening coastal ice is making it harder for them to get food from the sea, so they are seeking it out on land. I mean, yeah, I guess it's, I think Mother Nature is doing, using some pretty direct communication, saying, you know, kind of get your act together. That the, the climate change mascot is now uh, raiding human settlements instead of polar plunging. <laughs> I, I actually, hold on now, I have a different take. Um, so let's get our tinfoil hats on. I think the polar bears realize this planet is in really bad shape and are trying to take control of our technology so they can go to Mars where it's colder. Oh, okay. We're thinking here like just on our Earth scale and they're out here thinking on interplanetary, like interstellar scale. Uh, man, okay. That's definitely one take on it. Um, I, I, I stuck my head in a microwave earlier today and now I think I'm operating on a new dimension. <laughs> Dude, I am. <laughs> that's a... But um, now, th- now that our listeners have gotten the polar bear status update, um, let's, can we get to the episode's focus? Yes. Cue the audience to start listening. In this episode, we bring to you the climate crisis and its impact on ecosystems and biodiversity in less than 30 minutes, including the time we already allocated to polar bears. But if there's still time at the end, super down to talk about polar bears again. Of course. All right, to set the stage, we'll have James explain a graph he made for our Instagram page of the history of LA's air pollution in years the Dodgers won the World Series. Yeah, uh, we actually have our own Insta at greenhouse underscore sass, and we've already received hate mail and sugar daddies in our DMs, so that makes us feel very validated. Dude, yeah, man, I mean, but yeah, on our page, I, I basically was looking at like the, the history of LA's air pollution, which like, if you look back like the last time the Dodgers were winning the world series, like in the eighties, like 1981, like LA had four days with good air quality. Now it has closer to uh 67. Cause it's kind of cleaning up its act a bit, but basically uh, I think this kind of ties into the episode in terms of, you know, if you look beyond LA and you look at the world, like the concentration of CO2 in our atmosphere, like the, the last time the Dodgers won the world series in 1988, uh, the, concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere was 350 parts per million, which is like the highest it had ever, it's really ever been under like natural circumstances and for like kind of the time under which, you know, human beings have developed and civilization has thrived. Um, since then, and now in uh, 2020, it, you know, hovers around like 410 parts per million. So we are way beyond like the maximum concentration of carbon dioxide and that's like really where our planet is rapidly changing and where uh, we are seeing all these kind of like climate induced uh, effects on biodiversity. LA is actually a perfect example because they had major pollution from automobile emissions, realized that was the problem and then fixed it so they could breathe again. On a global level, we're kind of in the middle of the same story, except we already know how to fix the problem and we're just sitting around not doing anything about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, dude, yeah, I never, it's 
funny. Like I, when I, I, you know, I would never say, you know, LA is like, you know, maybe a city of model, like moral ethics or upright citizenry. But in, I think in terms of handling the, the environment, they are a city of role models. In this case. Yeah. Let, let's talk about the Keeling curve, which was famously dubbed the hockey stick curve. But Why uh, is it called the hockey stick curve? Well, because the graph is the shape of a hockey stick. Oh, wow. Yep. We do hard science here. Yes. Greenhouse gas. It, uh, so the Keeling curve shows the accumulation of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere over time. If you go way back, kind of what James was talking about, CO2 concentration has been pretty stable. It was around 280 parts per million up until the Industrial Revolution. And, um, you know, since they started taking continuous measurements in the 1950s, it's gone from about 310 parts per million to about 410 parts per million. Wow, that's the kind of curve you dream of seeing in your 401k. Yeah, sure is. Yeah, it's like it's just kind of crazy. It's like not only have we surpassed that like 350 parts per million mark that scientists kind of agreed was like the safest like or the safe maximum level, but uh, we've also destroyed uh, many of the carbon sinks that would have helped us to remove CO2 from the atmosphere. So it's like a reinforcing cycle yeah like a a negative feedback loop um or a positive Positive. feedback loop positive yeah yeah. positive positive feedback loop um (laughs) stay positive yeah mass deforestation has left fewer trees to suck up the co2 humans are adding into the atmosphere a lot of forest has been cleared for agriculture to help sustain the growing human population yeah i mean less trees to kind of reduce the co2 and more people to add co2 to the atmosphere uh just you see things getting worse so quickly <laughs> yeah uh one interesting side note about land conversion while it definitely definitely has a net warming effect the albedo or the reflectivity of croplands tends to be higher than forest land because it's brighter so it reflects more incoming solar radiation back out instead of absorbing it however this does not even come close to offsetting the loss of trees and co2 sinks but i just want to throw that out there I mean, yeah, I guess hopefully we'll be covering climate change and feedback in episodes in a future episode. Um, Karan, don't jump the gun, man. Yeah, guys, here, Karan. Flex, man. I'll give you an easy flex. Uh, You guys ready for this? Keep your shirt on, please. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What is the biggest carbon sink of all on this planet? Um, The oceans. Is it it something sold at Bed Bath and Beyond? (laughs) What? (laughs) <laughs> yes the magical scrubber i don't even know what that means no so yeah it's the ocean and we've already talked about how corals are taking an l and the chemistry of co2 increasing ocean acidity to destroy these ecosystems so instead we're going to focus on how terrestrial species and ecosystems are being impacted okay yeah, strictly land-based you, strictly land-based but before we fully move back on land another critical and often overlooked piece of the puzzle is blue carbon Blue carbon is carbon captured by coastal ecosystems, mainly mangroves, salt marshes, and seagrasses. Wait, blue carbon is not Jeff Bezos' space company. It's, it's no. blue, blue tomorrow. That's like blue virgin or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> blue virgins. <laughs> no, that, that, was different. that was that was Branson. He's definitely Branson. a polar bear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I forget. I think it's like blue. Yeah, something blue. Anyway, here's something that, yeah, I think is often an underlooked piece of this puzzle is that like a a mangrove forest can store twice as much CO2 per unit area than a tropical rainforest. Like this very small percentage of the earth's surface um, has these types of coastal ecosystems, but they can um, store a disproportionately high amount of carbon. 
to put it in Harry Potter terms, if Hogwarts and its wizards represent carbon storage and Voldemort is climate change, blue carbon would be Dumbledore. Nice. How does Harry Potter get down a hill? Um, wanding. Walking. JK Rowling. Uh, All right, but I think kind of like to sum up the the idea, kind of just set the stage for this great unraveling of biodiversity, uh, like rising population, more people um, with more access to technology means more greenhouse gas emissions that kind of increase the CO2 concentrations in the atmosphere. We need more land to feed more people so we convert it to agriculture to sustain our population. Um, in doing this, we have less available carbon sinks and storage, so we are even more stuck with the excess carbon we've put into the atmosphere. Yes, very well put. So with this in mind, let's jump into how wildlife is being impacted. This summer, I worked on a project with Conservation International and researched some ways climate change is affecting species and ecosystems around the world. And we'll be tag-teaming these research findings for you know a little bit of extra flair, and, uh, but first, we are going to go ahead and uh, take our first stop, jump into the Alto Mayo Protected Forest, which is located in northern Peru. Anyone know what an epiphyte is? Yeah. Is, just- it, is it like a, it's like a fight where like the teachers break it up before you can hit the other kid when he's down? <laughs> uh, no, but thanks for playing my game. Epiphytes are plants that grow on other plants but are not parasitic. An example wait, is moss. Wait. Moss, okay. Yeah, underrated moss. part of the ecosystem? Oh, definitely underrated. I love okay. moss. Who doesn't? Anyways, so these epiphytes, uh, which can be moss or a bunch of other different plant species, are most common in wet, tropical, and temperate environments. So humidity and moisture are really incredibly important bioclimatic variables for these species. The Alto Mayo Protected Forest is partly covered by a tropical montane cloud forest ecosystem. And studies have found that changing temperatures are causing cloud formation to occur at higher altitudes. Yeah, therefore, humidity and moisture decrease starting in the lower altitudes of this ecosystem because the clouds begin forming higher up. And the environmental conditions are pushed beyond the tolerance zone of many epiphyte species. This isn't only bad for the epiphytes as they serve an important role. They absorb water from mist during wetter periods and release it over time. Without them, other vegetation that relies on water from epiphytes will become more stressed and vulnerable. I mean, yeah, so like, you know, just losing epiphytes alone translates to losing other vegetation as well. Like the environment without them becomes drier, which, you know, as we all know, all animals rely on water, kind of moisture. This has cascading effects on the entire ecosystem and As the land transforms, you might think that species that have the ability to move faster than the plants will be fine. Nice cliffhanger. So you might think that, but species that are able to move, they can't actually more easily track their preferred climate type, but that does not make them immune to climate change. So here's a great example. The yellow-tailed woolly monkey inhabits- that's a real thing? It's a real thing. Look it up. And- uh, Did you ever see one? No, man. They're only in like Peru. No, I was in Ecuador. Wait, you, okay, you're just researching this. Hypothetical. Oh my God, this is like the cutest thing. They're amazing. Yeah, everyone, if you're, uh, if you're watching this and not driving your car, pause, look up yellow-tailed woolly monkey. So what is species, that? They, <laughs> they inhabit the same tropical montane cloud forest as the epiphytes we just talked about. As clouds form at higher altitudes and the lower elevation parts of the ecosystem change, 
the monkey must move upslope to stay within its preferred habitat type. So the yellow-tailed woolly monkey moves upwards, but the land doesn't go up forever. It'll become increasingly more difficult for them to go back down and move across to access other parts of the landscape. The ecosystems they need will become isolated patches of habitat at higher elevations, and basically these are going to shrink as climate conditions continue to change until eventually there's nowhere left to go. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, this, this region is just... Uh, so kind of like polar bears, the land around them is changing and forcing them to live in or move to less favorable conditions. Like nature is literally kicking out the uh, like gentrifying and like, I don't know, it's like, it feels like a, a millennial rent story or something. <laughs> oh. <laughs> too real, dude, too real. But yeah, let's, let's give uh, just one more example from a different ecosystem since these are just really interesting to go over. We're now going to teleport to Southern Kenya. Out here, we have the very ecologically important Amboseli Tsavo Kilimanjaro ecosystem, uh, which is surrounded by national parks where there's lions and elephants, rhinos, a bunch of other charismatic megafauna. We're going to focus on the Mazima Springs, which are an extremely important source of water. This region is very, very dry, so increased variation in precipitation due to climate change is super problematic. Like the Mazima Springs... Uh, like many other water bodies, they provide the habitat for many species. Um, in this region, like hippos would be a big one. Um, they kill more people than sharks. Fun fact. Less than vending machines, though. Okay, that's... Um, yeah, we, we, we are tough. We live in the dangerous world. <laughs> <laughs> I went to middle school with those things. Um, and, uh, but like in 2009, like a prolonged drought forced these hippos to move to another water body which, you know, obviously brings them into competition with another hippo population. And uh, the kind of like unusually high number of hippos all now having to graze in one area combined with drier conditions quickly depletes the surrounding grassland. And uh, there's this report about how basically only five hippos avoided starving to death, like hunger games almost like oh god hungry hungry hippos i guess oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> god damn it yeah remember that uh, next time you're at chuck e cheese <laughs> i'll let you the kids I, when you take them to chuck e cheese uh i'm i'm not gonna ask but uh anyway it wasn't just the hippos or the other species that lived in the mazima springs migratory birds use it as a rest stop when making their journeys without these springs the birds won't be able to rest and refuel and will probably have to reroute this could result in long-term changes to immigration patterns. Oh, by the way, human populations also rely on the springs, like the city of Mombasa, which has over a million people. I mean, yeah, there's just a few examples of how climate change is impacting wildlife populations. Uh, I mean, I think we all know, like, the melting ice reducing polar bears' habitat, but, you know, these things happen everywhere and, you know, in every environment in the world, probably. Like, um, the takeaway is basically that Changing environmental conditions affect different species in different ways. And keep in mind, climate change will impact different areas at different rates. In other words, some species will have to travel further per unit time than others. This can range anywhere from a species having to move less than a kilometer per year up to multiple kilometers per year just to stay in an environment that's suitable for them. Imagine if your house kept moving a few kilometers each year. Yeah, we, ha we have those. They're called mobile homes. Van oh, life, yeah. Dude. Okay, but we do have mobile homes. You guys are right. And vans and whatever else you want to put out there. But at least we control where those go. 
see another big issue is this mass reshuffling where all these species are just shifting around and they'll be moving in and out of protected areas, which will make existing protections less effective. And this will lead to new species interactions and essentially restructuring of food webs. How would you like it if your home moved itself next to Britney Spears' house? Dude, I would be psyched. What, what's wrong? Why would, why are you, what would be wrong with living next to Britney Spears? All right, fine. How about Trump? Oh, I would not like that. Even still, the, the analogy doesn't hold up because even if your house moves, you still have a house. Let me explain. Within the broad biomes, such as Arctic, drylands, tropical, etc., there are a total of 18 global environmental zones that each exhibit a unique combination of bioclimatic variables that define the biome. That's, you know, temperature, moisture, and so on. Climate change will cause these variables, the ones I just mentioned and others, to deviate from the baseline conditions. And this continuous change over time will cause areas to be reclassified from one environmental zone to another. Okay, yeah. So, for example, um, you're saying a region that is currently classified as a hot and arid environmental zone could turn into an extremely hot and arid environmental zone if climate change makes it hotter and less wet. Exactly. And if the localized climate conditions change such that a region goes from one classified environmental zone to another classified environmental zone, such as in your example, then some species may be able to live there. But here's the real problem. Our current projections are showing that and these, are, these aren't even the most radical projections. Some of these are very conservative and not that far in the future. Some projections show that in many parts of the world, conditions will change so much that they'll actually fall outside of our current classification system. Oh, man. It sounds like some sci-fi stuff. Like we're, we are literally going into uncharted territory in terms of what the earth will be classified as, like what the regions will be. Yes. Projected conditions will be so different than what they are now that they will not fit into our current classification system. Just, just think about that. It's crazy. And the vast, vast, vast majority of species will not be able to tolerate these unprecedented conditions. Will it get to the point where people can't even survive? In theory, yes. But that could take a pretty long time, especially since we have air conditioning. We'll have way bigger problems to deal with if we get to that point, though. But for wildlife and the earth it will be bad and there will be, sadly, there's going to be many, many more extinctions. And I would like to mention that, I mean, yeah, you made the joke about air conditioning, but like we're already seeing mass impacts on human populations, especially in areas like the Middle East and, you know, Africa and these other places where turning on the air conditioning just isn't going to be enough. It's going to be like 140 plus degrees Fahrenheit and people are going to start dying. And, you know, even here in California, we're already like Mad Max if you take, you know, I-5 through, through the state. It's kind of dead out there. So, but I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll talk about all, the, all this fun stuff in the next episode. We will further elaborate on how dead the world is in future. On how we're all going to get screwed, yeah. Uh, Go ahead and kill me. I want you to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the writing's on the wall, and we need to start taking this seriously if we want to protect the plan's biodiversity especially as the human population continues growing exponentially. James, tell me about that crazy study you found. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this study kind of puts it into perspective in terms of like how much animals are now just kind of like a, a part of our like human dominated landscape. So these, there's a study where these um, Israeli researchers basically make a model to quantify the weight of all the mammals on earth. And um, basically, like when the, the results are all in, you guys can look this up, like 60% of the mammals on earth are livestock, like 
cows and pigs, animals that we use for our benefit. Usually we, I don't know about all of them, but I'd say a lot of them we just kill when we're done with them. They're not roaming free. They are under our control. And then um, 36% of all the mammals are humans. And then the remaining 4% of this weight of all mammals on earth are like the wild animals that are now that are out Whoa. and out. That's, that's deer. That's whale. Like that's, that's like whales and elephants and all that stuff. Yeah. Like there's just not that much of any of them. Like, <laughs> yeah. The, the global cow population is about 1 billion, which is way above the carrying capacity. There should not be a billion cows, but the reason there are, How is are they going to film the God milk commercials if we don't have a billion? <laughs> Or the Chick-fil-A stuff. Yeah, I was about to say yeah. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Eat more chicken. But yeah, um, really the reason that there are that many cows in the world is because people are sustaining this absurdly high number of individuals, which by the way, also adds global warming because of their burps and farts. So we're basically playing God in deciding which species thrive and which don't. Can we, can we just go back to talking about polar bears on Mars? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, can we just go back to rollerblading in the 90s? Oof, I love that. All right, uh, can we get a hot take? Yes. My hot take is uh, extremely hot and pretty global because I thought that would pair nicely with climate change. Ooh, thematic. <laughs> <laughs> so here it is. And this is okay. especially topical in light of the Biden administration taking over in a few months, putting Biden in the hot seat right here. Okay, as long as it doesn't make me feel better after all that depressing stuff we just covered i want to sink <laughs> no absolutely not you will sink even further okay climate change is our number one enemy and we should divert resources from the military to the climate crisis sorry i don't see why why we have these hundred million dollar military planes when that money could literally be spent saving the planet instead of blowing it up I knew you were a communist. That was the most un-American thing you could say, you thankless. Look, man, national security environmentalist. National security is important. I'm not, I'm not saying defund the military or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I guess it kind of is, but just a tiny, <laughs> tiny bit. Okay, guess, guess what the defense, uh, the defense budget for fiscal year 2021 is? $9. That's the EPA's budget. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like over... It's over $700 billion and actual spending is listed as much higher. Okay. Now guess what the EPA fiscal 2021 budget is. $9. It's a hell of a lot closer. It's 6.6 billion. Maybe a lot of people agree with me. Maybe they don't, but I'm using this tiny platform to put Joe Biden on the damn hot seat and turn America into a leader when it comes to saving the planet. Even just well, terrorism. Not <laughs> <laughs> Even just doubling our laughable environmental budget would be twice as good as what we're doing now. Yeah, I mean, we were joking around calling you a commie and, you know, all this stuff. But, you know, I, I, I agree. In fact, I don't even think that's that hot of a take. Like, even the military doesn't know what to do with uh, $700 billion. I mean, it's all just defense contractors with these really lucrative deals. Like, they literally have lots with tanks and planes and stuff just, like, sitting around not doing anything. And the police get some of this stuff, like armored vehicles and things, but that's, that's a whole other topic. But I mean, yeah, like the Pentagon themselves have identified climate change as the number one national security threat facing the country. I mean, yeah, you mentioned the EPA's budget is like $6 billion, but, you know, NASA's budget is also something like 17 to $19 million, which really isn't that much. Now, you know, can you imagine doubling either the EPA's or NASA's budgets? you know, from that 
700 billion dollars that we give to the military and we'd still have a greater defense budget than our next six allies combined and maybe have you know a decent shot at tackling climate change or space exploration or something like that are are you advocating for giving more funds to nasa to explore the other planets because you are a polar bear (laughs) get out here huh straight got you yeah, I think I honestly think that like we need to make people as afraid of climate change as they are of like terrorism and like communism. Like I think that's like, kind of what drives people's desire or like support for the spending on things. Yeah, like, I mean, I think it's hard for people to get scared of something they can't really see. Look at COVID. Like we have half the population doesn't think it's real or they don't. They think it's a flu or whatever. You know, there's like what now two thousand people dying every day from this or something like that. Like people just don't care and. It's different if you see footage of like, you know, like 9-11 or like bombs going off or something like that, then people care. But, you know, rising seas or droughts or whatever it is, like people care, but they, they don't, you know what I mean? Like we should make an environmentally themed horror movie to mass influence. I guess it's called the day after tomorrow. I actually saw 2012, 2012. I saw a B movie on Hulu. It was about an earthquake. I think it was called like 10.0 or something where the premise was that fracking causes this giant like 10.0 earthquake in california that basically knocks the la basin into the ocean it was really stupid but it was it was i think that's kind of what you're saying yeah i mean i I think it's just like it's like one of the it's like not the top of mind i think vox is a video of like why humans are so bad about thinking about climate change because it's so i guess abstract or like yeah what what would what would abe do guys um i don't know get shot in an opera house (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> all right uh it's time for everyone's favorite part of the pod <laughs> solutions polar bears yes uh well almost polar bears solutions okay, okay. second get this all right yeah so back to the un biodiversity report that said that we're dropping the ball harder than J.R. smith they also said the pandemic is an inflection point yeah, I mean, I think it's also important to remember, like, kind of that the pandemic started via, you know, our close interactions with wildlife. Like, it's kind of a reality check to kind of assess our shortcomings and think about how we can come back stronger and more committed to uh, developing a healthy relationship with the animals we uh, share this planet with. So, just like the UN, let's just take some time to think about how we can live more sustainably. Here's something I've changed uh, because of the pandemic that I plan to continue going forward. I used to have a gym membership. Sounds so dumb now. I would literally drive to the gym to work out. My workouts now consist of biking outdoors, calisthenics, and yeah, you know, just going outside and doing outside stuff. Is that why you're so small? True strength lies in your will to do what's right, Karun. Yeah, but you're still small. Wait, what is so good about that in the environment just that you are not driving and you're... Uh, More outside time, better for mental health, less emissions, obviously. Yeah, I mean, and workout results more or less the same. Okay. You eat all you want. Dude, what do you squat, bro? What do you squat? (laughs) Uh, I squat two big rocks because that's what I found outside. Oh, okay. This is a caveman workout. I mean, (laughs) you can can train all you want, but you can, uh, I don't think we've, we haven't even touched on, you can't out train a bad diet as my mentor Arnie would say. (laughs) yeah and that's another big one we've touched on before diet eating healthy is now more important than ever and you know what's healthy what's that karan vegetables 
We need to clear much less land for agriculture if we ate less meat, meaning more forests to absorb carbon. Oh man, yeah. Beat the meat and spare the deets. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a pro tip for uh, those meat lovers out there but are looking to be healthy and uh, more sustainable. You guys heard of Beyond Meat? Um, was that like the Christian self-help group where they try to get you to stop? <laughs> Um, no, oh, no, no. This is the one that's cultured in a lab. Uh, it tastes better than regular meat. And um, I think it probably feels better for your soul because it's doing less harm to the environment. Yeah. And you, and you spare cows. And hey, why'd you make the Indian guy say that? It was uh, random. Dude, out of three, whatever. Yeah. I'm, this mm-hmm. is, you know, and yeah, maybe like a second two to shout out uh, a lot of any farmers out there, backbone of any uh, society. Uh, I think they've really. As like, I think we should not underscore the efforts like precision farming has made and how the kind of through agricultural intensification or like instead of extensification, like we're able to make grow more food on less land. Um, there's certainly problems with that um, as far as like, you know, pollution from fertilizer and things, but it does really help us to um, increase outputs to sustain our global population while not going bankrupt with our use of, uh, not bankrupting the world's supply of arable land. Yeah, uh, we didn't really get into carbon markets today because we urgently had to talk about polar bears. But for all you high rollers out there, you can literally purchase carbon credits and retire them to neutralize emissions. Yeah, if you just literally just Google retire carbon credit, you'll find tons of websites where you can do that. We recommend Conservation International, no bias. Um, they did hire Sandra, though, so take They that. literally no bias. paid one no of bias. us. No yeah. bias. All um, I'm but, saying is uh, if you see me driving around a Lambo because carbon credits were retired, don't ask questions. I've, dude, if you were driving a Lambo, I will let you run me over. <laughs> um, but speaking of Conservation International, um, you can support other environmental geos through you know, donations or volunteering. Um, it's just important to know like, about different projects people are doing to help save our wildlife. Beautiful. You guys thinking what I'm thinking? Uh, polar bears? Hell yeah. Dude, when was the last time you thought about a polar bear? Like three seconds ago. We just mentioned them. Nice, bro. You really care. Okay, what did the polar bear eat after the dentist fixed its tooth? What? The dentist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. That was pretty good. All right, any more closing polar bear thoughts? Yeah, I We love polar bears. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did and have a polar bear filled week. But not like that village, Virkapi. Stay sassy. Woo!